Hi, I'm Chucky, and I'm your friend to the end. Heidi ho <laughs> They're coming to get you, Barbara. This is my boomstick! Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Horror Crypt Podcast, episode number 55. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. As usual, just to get things out of the way, remember I'm on all social platforms, Instagram and Facebook at Horror Crypt Oz, and you can send me a direct message at horrorcrypt2022 at gmail.com. See, there we go. We get all the housekeeping out of the way right away, so that way we can focus directly on the movie at hand of what we actually want to do. And this week, now I hope last week, you know, <laughs> I didn't lose a lot of um, listeners. I hope to God I didn't. Please, <laughs> don't leave me, because it was actually, I thought it was actually quite fun last week, but we're going to go back to what we know best. We, we're going to go back to horror movies we know and love, and this week we're going to go back to 1984, as we are basically going to be delving into a Stephen King movie, Children of the Corn. This one is starring, as we all know and love, Sarah Connor herself, Linda Hamilton. But yeah, this movie I actually really do enjoy because, and believe it or not, they're actually going to be doing a remake or a reboot. I don't know what the hell they're going to do, but apparently they've actually finished, uh, they've wrapped up, they've they're finished filming, and they're actually sending it to test audiences. Currently there's two screens um, in Florida that they're actually doing it to, and I think it's just, just to do with test audiences to see how it's going to play. And then obviously if there is things that people don't like or want more of, whatever, I think that they'll do rewrites or things like that. I'm really not up with the whole thing with regarding to sending it out to test audiences of how the director has to, you know, modify or do stuff, but I know that they're actually redoing it. I'm a purist. I've always said this in, on this podcast. I'm an absolute purist. I love the originals. I don't see why they have to remake and basically screw up already great movies. And to my way of thinking, it's almost along the same lines as people in Hollywood writers. They just don't have any good ideas anymore. They don't sit down and go, okay, we're going to do a story about this that does this and becomes that. They don't do that anymore. They sit there and they go through a catalog and they go, what, what awesome movie of the 80s and 90s and 2000s can we redo and fuck up? And that's basically what they're doing with this this movie. Um, so rewriting the original Children of the Corn, I don't know. I, I I don't see it really... I mean, it would have to knock my socks off for me to sit there and go, oh my God, it is way better than the original. But then again, it might be better than the original. I'm a purist, so I love the original, but you never know. Um, now, I just wanted to find out, and actually, I did actually look up this before I actually started this podcast, that this movie is set in Gatlin, Nebraska. And Gatlin, Nebraska is actually a real place. I'm just going to read it off of uh, Wikipedia. Gatlin is a small rural town in Nebraska, adjacent to the Hemingford home. It is the main setting of Children of the Corn, where, uh, where a sign states that the population is 4,531. So it is actually a real place. <laughs> Gatlin is actually a real place that you can go to. Um... I, I, I didn't actually think it was until I looked at that up because I wanted to, to do, you know, that for this podcast. I really wanted to find out, is this place a real place? Um, but yeah, it really is. So that's actually cool. Um, the film tells the story of a male malevolent entity referred to as he who walks behind the rose. Now, when I thought rose, I thought R-O-S-E, but it's not. It's R-O-W-S which entices the town's children to ritually murder all the town's adults and a couple driving across country to ensure a successful corn harvest. So, you know, this is rather interesting. Now, Stephen King uh, wrote the original draft of the screenplay, which focused more on the characters of Bert and Vicky and depicted more history of the uprising of the children of Gatlin. That would have been really good. I would have loved to have seen why they rose up instead of just suddenly, uh, okay, it started and then it was done. I'd really love to see how it became that way. And, you know, I'm, re I'm really hoping that if they do, when they do remake this movie, that they do actually delve a little bit further into it. Um, but, you know, who, who knows? I've no idea. Um, the script was uh, disregarded in favour of George Goldsmith's screenplay, which featured more violence and more conventional narrative structure. Filming took place man mainly in Iowa, but also in California. It spawned a franchise of films and it has gained a cult following, inspiring the rap group with the same name. 
Okay. Didn't know that. Don't care about that. But um, the franchise, I really think that it, it sort of like took a left turn. I don't know why they had to continue. What they really could have done, and I'll get more to it at the end, but the ending of the movie, um, they could have actually started in another franchise from that part further on. I, I don't know what, how that... And I really... I can't be... I really can be honest. I haven't seen anything past Children of the Corn. Maybe I should. But I like the movie as it is. I just, yeah, I haven't gone any further with it. Now, this movie was released on March the 9th, 1984. It runs for 92 minutes. The budget, would you believe, was $800,000, but the box office took $14.6 million. That shows you just how good the movie really, really was. So, look, before we get started, we love listening to the trailer. So sit back and relax, because here it comes. Every child is afraid of the dark. The unknown. The nightmare. In Gatlin, Nebraska, that nightmare is in the corn. <coughs> Stephen King's Children of the Corn. Stephen King, the author of Carrie, The Shining, The Dead Zone, and Christine, an adult nightmare. Children of the Corn. I'm here, Stephen King's Children of the Corn, an adult nightmare. So I'm sure by now some of you have already gone to Wikipedia to find out if Gatlin, Nebraska really is a real place. Well, and I'm also sure that some of you are sitting there scratching their head going, uh, why do we listen to this person if he really doesn't do his research? Well, yeah, I did my research again uh, and found out that Gatlin, Nebraska is a fictional town. It doesn't exist. So, yeah, this is it's on me. My bad, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I take full responsibility for the fact that I sat there and went, I looked it up and it's a real town. No, Paul. You needed either more coffee, uh, maybe some alcohol, maybe a good night's sleep, but whatever you needed, you need more of it because Gatlin, Nebraska is a fictional town. Wouldn't it have been awesome if it had been set in a town that actually existed? Yeah, probably the... Uh, now, I'm, I'm not familiar with, like, you know, even though I lived in, in America for four years, I didn't go to the small town, so... I'm guessing the the mayor or whatever would not be pretty too happy about uh, Hollywood going in there and going, "Hi, we're going to set a movie in your town where kids kill the entire population of your uh, your town. You okay with that? Good. All right, we're going to start filming." Somehow I don't think that would actually work. So yeah, it was my fault. I take full responsibility. I'm an idiot. I should have actually researched a little bit more. So the movie opens up where uh, we get the uh, beginnings of watching this little boy. He's coming out from church and we, we assume that it's a Sunday. And uh, he's got a voiceover saying that that day he was the only child in church. Uh, everyone else, all the other kids were with Isaac um, in the cornfield. They must be having a big meeting. And uh, so he's taken to a local cafe, I guess. And uh, he uh, he asks, you know, asks for a milkshake and stuff like that. This kid, when he gets the milkshake, it's amazing it doesn't end up in his lap. Because it's so full of cream and ice cream and a cherry on the top and everything. I mean, he's giving it. His name is Joby, I think it is. Um, so he's, he's given this. He, what's the first thing he does? He takes a straw out and basically starts chugging it like, you know, uh, a can of Coke. And it's almost like, my God, how did that not end up in your lap, mate? But anyway, um, his father goes to make a phone call to, to home because his sister, as in Joby's sister, was not with them. She's sick, she's in bed, and she's got a very bad, uh, um, a very bad temperature. And yeah, the father gets in, gets in contact with uh, the mother, and she's like, you know, I'm worried it's gone from a hundred and something up to a hundred and something, so it's getting higher. And she's laying in bed and she's drawing, and and we really at this moment we don't know what she's drawing. And of course, the little boy is sitting there at the at the counter of the cafe and looks over and. And we see um, Malachi, 
this uh, young guy standing next to a pinball machine. And uh, the voiceover then goes, oh, we are obviously the, their uh, um, meeting finished early and you know, Malachi's just standing there. And Malachi gives him a sort of like a, a wry little smile. And um, of course, then Joby sort of like looks towards where, where Malachi is looking. And Malachi is actually looking past him and looks towards the outside uh, you know, on the street. And uh, there is what we can only assume is Isaac. And Isaac is standing there, really creepy kid, and basically gives him, you know, gives uh, Malachi sort of like a, a nod to say, okay. And this is where the uh, the entire killing starts. Um, as the One of the waitresses puts some, some sort of, um, I don't know what you'd call it, some sort of drug into the coffee, starts, you know, all the, the, the adults start convulsing and passing out, and I don't know whether they're dropping dead or whatever, and then, you know, basically it's a free-for-all where they get knives and machetes out and start hacking to pieces, you know, all the adults in the in the cafe. Obviously, Joby sitting there, he's completely, you know, oblivious to all this as far as, like, you know, not, not oblivious, that's probably the wrong word. He's immune to it because he's a kid. They're not going to touch him. He's a kid, no no problems. And we find out as the movie goes along that there is a time limit on most of these kids, but we'll find out as we go along. So the town appears to be neglected ex- except for a church, and residents choose biblical names over more modern ones. When the crop fails one year, the town's vote turn to prayer and ensure a successful harvest. So obviously that's what a lot of people do. You know, they don't know, you know, they're, they're very, very spiritual in the town. So they go to church to pray for, oh, yeah, please, please, we need a we need a really good harvest. However, 12-year-old Isaac takes all the children of Gatlin into the cornfields and indoctricides them into a religious cult based around a bloodthirsty, bloodthirsty deity called He Who Walks Behind the Rose. Now, when I first heard this, I'm like, He Who Walks Behind the Rose, as in R. O-S-E? No, it's R-O-W-S. So that's really interesting. Not really sure. Isaac and his subordinate, 18-year-old Malachi, lead the children in a revolution, uh, murdering all the adults aged 19 and up, since 18-year-olds are seen as halfway between teenager and adult in a <laughs> in town as human sacrifices, poisoning and butchering them. Only Job... And his sister Sarah are not involved, for Sarah was sick, and Job was not allowed to attend the meeting by in the corn with the other children. That's really interesting because you get to see a lot of the kids as we get you know further into the movie. You get to see a lot of these kids that were um, in the in the meeting in the corn, and they were a lot younger than than they seem to be a lot younger than Job. So it's interesting why they decided to basically you know make sure that these two weren't there. Um, so you know, really, we've got this this whole thing when the movie you know concludes as far as this killing scene, and all the kids are sort of like walking out of the the um, cafe, and they're all almost like they're walking like friggin' zombies. And then you hear over the telephone, um, Job's mother has been murdered, you know, in the house as well. Um, and then of course, then you get to see a picture of what um, Sarah was drawing, and Sarah has what. Isaac calls the gift of sight, which means that she can she can uh, basically know what's going to happen in the future. So she's laying in bed, but she's drawing a picture of what was actually happening at the cafe. And you've got these really creepy sort of like, you know, pictures of kids standing there with butcher knives with blood on them. And they, you've got, you know, people on the ground in front of them, you know. And then you've also got basically what they did to a police officer in town. You see that the kids are basically all, you know, rejoicing about what they're doing. So, you know, it, it really, it, it, it basically dictates what's going on throughout the town. We go, we don't get to see it other than watching um, through the pictures that um, that Sarah's drawing. And that's, that's actually a really good idea because we don't have to go through every scene of the movie where we're seeing them go from house to house or we don't have to see them attacking the police officer or the townsfolk. We don't have to see any of that. This first scene of the movie is just basically being shown through the, the pictures of, that Sarah's drawn. Um, and it's portrayed through through credit uh, through the credits, so the credits are rolling over it, but actually showing the via the drawings. So I, I was actually really in, in, really impressed about the the beginning of this movie. So three years later, on October thirty first, nineteen eighty three, Viggy and her boyfriend Bert travel through rural Nebraska on their way to Seattle, where Bert will be starting as a physician. Elsewhere, a young boy named Joseph tries to flee Gatlin. So we see that basically, you know, as as um, Job is saying, and he he basically dictates. No, he dictates. He basically narrates. That's the better word. Narrates the movie throughout, saying that okay, 
this is where a lot of people have had enough of Isaac. They don't believe what he's saying, and a lot of kids are starting to become very disenchanted with what's going on with him. So they're basically rebelling and saying, "I just, we just don't want to do this anymore. Isaac's got a very, very big hold over the town and obviously over the children because he is the one. He's the one that, that's the, the preacher, but he's one hell of an evil fucking preacher, I tell you. Um, so this young boy named Joseph, he decides, that's it, I've had enough, I'm leaving. So he says to Job and to Sarah, you know, I'm going to leave uh, and I'm going to come back and get you, you know. If you're hearing that crazy barking in the background, yes, that's my puppy. He's running around, having a great time and barking at everything. We, we live across the road from a golf course. So basically he's deciding to bark madly at the golfers or anybody that walks past the house. So yeah, if you hear barking in the background, it's just my dog. It's fine. So anyway, we've got, um, you know, Joseph and he's like, okay, well, I'm going to leave. And, he, and you know, Job goes, which way are you going to go? And he goes, I'm going to go through the corn. It's the fastest way. I don't know how that works. But anyway, he's going to go through the corn. And he's like, no, 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 you can't go through the corn. And he goes, listen, I'm going to go. I can't make it with you two. Um, and if, you know, but just for God's sakes, don't tell Malachi. Don't let Isaac know. Just I've got to get out of here. So, of course, he, you know, starts going through the, and they've got great music. The music is really done very, very well. It's, it's got that, that you know, level of just, you know, um, anxiety that you want in a horror movie. And that I th that's, I think, is what's, you know, really good about this movie. The music actually really keeps you on the edge of your seat because it's got that really ominous sort of music. So we're basically watching him running through the through the corn. Now, I'm guessing he would know which way to go, which way was the best way to go. Um we're not sure exactly where he's going to go to. Um, there is a town further on called Hemingsford, Hemingsford, something like that. Um, but of course, we, we're only assuming that's, where he, that's the way he's going, but we're not being told about that. We're basically just being told that Joseph's had enough, I'm getting out. So of course, he starts running and we see with little cut scenes that there are people in the corn with him. And these people are pulling out machetes, they're pulling out knives, whatever. And then of course, at one stage, you know, he's running through through the the corn stops and turns around as if as if he's completely and utterly lost and this is where you see the people coming closer and closer to him where at one stage he turns around he looks directly at the camera and of course we see that there's a suitcase that he's carrying and it's splattered with blood so it's like okay so whoever it was that was after him they got him so of course we then have a cut scene back to um Vicky and, and Bert, they've actually left a motel and they're driving towards um, Seattle, but they've got to go through Nebraska and they're doing a bit of a I spy with my little, little, little eye, you know, something beginning with C. Oh, corn. And then, of course, they decide, okay, well, I wonder if, you know, they've discovered, you know, radio or music out here. And, of course, it's all preaching, you know, uh, Christian radio, you know, uh, be aware of the devil and this and that. And they're like, oh, for the love of God, you know, all, you know, this preacher's going berserk. So anyway, as they're, uh, they're, they're looking at a, at a map trying to figure out, oh, okay, what's this town we're getting into? We're getting into Gatlin. And then, of course, the next one is Hemingsford, and then we're going to go up into Seattle. It's at that moment that uh, you know, Bert takes his eyes off the road and looks up just at that moment. And, of course, we see that, unfortunately, um, uh, Joseph is standing in the middle of the road, holding his neck, and, of course, Bert plows straight through him and uh, basically runs him over and kills him. We don't know that he was already basically dead to begin with. But uh, the car screeches to a halt, and of course, you know, uh, he stops the car and he says, he checks Vicky out, and of course, Vicky says, please tell me that was an animal. And he looks back and he's like, yeah, I don't think so. And he runs over to the, to the little boy who's now laying on the road and rolls him over and finds that Joseph has actually had his throat cut beforehand. So Vicky, you know, basically says, you know, is he dead? And she's, and he said, yeah, he is, but he was going to die because his throat was was slit. Um, so Bert and Vicky place Joseph in and his suitcase in their trunk and search for a phone to call for help. They don't place the um, suitcase in there at all. What they basically do is they put the suitcase into the car and they put Joseph into the boot or into the into the trunk. I said boot because I'm, I'm I'm in Australia, so oh my god, it's a boot. But when I lived in America, it was a trunk. So we're gonna go, we're gonna split the difference and say it's a boot slash trunk. How's that? That'll keep everyone happy. Anyway, he's in the he's in the boot slash trunk of the car. And, uh, of course, you know, Bert, for some reason, goes, well, I've got to go and, and, you know, have a look around. So he says to Vicky, basically, you know, stay in the car, lock the door, and I'm going to go into the corn. 
And uh, this is actually where he finds the, the suitcase. Because at, at, at that moment, he's just standing in the middle of the road and he gets hit by the car. So his suitcase is actually a little bit further into the, um, into the corn. This is a great jump scare, I might add is that uh, he goes into the corn to try and find, and he does find the suitcase with splattered blood. We then go back to um, Vicky, who's basically falling, has fallen asleep, and she's dreaming, obviously, and she goes towards where um, Joseph is, and he's laying on the road, and then suddenly springs up and with his arms outstretched to attack her, and then you see that she's woken up, so she actually had a bit of a, a quick little nap, as we say. So we decide, okay, well, we're going to have to go and find out, you know, where the hell we can get some help. So they find an elderly mechanic, um, and it really doesn't matter about his name, but his name is, is Del, uh, the last adult in Gatlin, but he refuses them service, and he has agreed to supply the children with fuel in exchange for his life. That's actually a pretty good um, exchange because these kids, <laughs> these kids are murdering little bastards, so they'll actually slit your wrists and cut your dick off. I swear to God. So, you know, it's basically, you know, it's a good idea to keep them <laughs> on the good side. And, you know, Bert comes in and, and, you know, he goes, oh, you know, I've got no gas. And he goes, uh, okay. And he goes, can't, and you can't use the restroom unless you buy some gas. And I've got, I've, got, I've got no gas. And he goes, okay, well, I keep seeing Gatlin. Where? And he goes, there's nobody in Gatlin. And he goes, how about you just, you know, go a little bit further on. Hemingsford, Hemingsford is, you know, a little ways on. Basically, you go down the end of, the, end of this road, take a left. Now, of course, it seems like it's a complete maze because every time they go around a street corner, they end up in the exact same spot. They've gone, they first go down to the end of the road and turn left and they basically do like an entire circle back to this, you know, there's a sign saying Gatlin. They're like, okay, all right, we'll go this way, we'll go right. And they take it right and basically they turn around to... There's another sign saying Gatlin ahead, and he's like, and they're like, for God's sakes, how the hell do we get out of this area? So they, for some reason, they cut down a street that then becomes a, a road of like just corn, and they find out that when they get to the end of this road, they come out and there is the gas station right in front of them, and they're like, okay, obviously someone's been screwing around with the signs. We can't get out of Gatlin right now, so we are going to go into Gatlin itself, and of course, we hadn't seen that as they had driven off. Um, you know, one of the the, the Guy Dell has got this beautiful dog named uh, uh, Sarge, and unfortunately Sarge runs off into the cornfield and has been, you know, killed by these murderous little shits. And of course, um, Sarge had been wearing a bandana around his neck, and so when Dell goes over to the car that he's trying to fix, there is this bloodied, uh, you know, thing that around the dog's neck that is now sitting on the radiator. So it's basically an indication that we've murdered your dog. And then this is like, you know, you absolute little bastards. How could you do that? So unfortunately, you know, Isaac had said to, to Malachi, do not at, at any circumstances touch Dell. But unfortunately, the merciless Malachi breaks the pack and murders him against Isaac wishes, Isaac's wishes when Dell tries to steer the couple away from Gatlin. Now, this is really interesting it's like you know he tries to do the best thing get away from gatlin do not come here do not go into the middle of the of the town but for some reason you know these kids decide that no no it's a better idea to to kill this guy the only guy that may be able to keep them with what they need which is fuel um and so you know by leaving you alone you know you've got some sort of we've got some sort of insurance policy that anyone that comes into gatlin the first thing they're going to hit is that gas station, so you'll be able to get them away from it. We'll look after you. We won't kill you, but just get them away from us. So it's not like that he didn't try. He basically made it very clear, don't go into Gatlin. There's nothing there. It's not, you know, there's nobody around. The people in there, they keep to themselves. They're religious people. They don't want any outsiders, so just get the fuck out of here. Go somewhere else. So unfortunately, it doesn't work. Vicky and Bert explore the abandoned town. Um, and finds Sarah alone in a, in a house while Vicky stays with her, Bert searches the town. This is rather interesting because, you know, they're driving through the town and, and you know, you've got these lookouts. The kids are basically watching this car coming in. But, of course, a couple of scenes before this, you've got um, a you know, situation where um, Job and Sarah are in this abandoned house and they're playing uh, Monopoly. And, of course, they're dressed up as adults and it's forbidden from June, you know, Malachi and Isaac have both said it's forbidden to have music, to have board games, anything like that. And then, of course, we don't see this happen, but, uh, you know, Isaac, Malachi basically finds the two kids in the room playing this board game and take them to take them to Isaac. Now, when Isaac gets a hold of them, he has got a, a picture that she, like she's drawn, and this is when Isaac says, ah, she she foresees what's going on. She has the gift of sight because you've got this yellow car 
with a sign saying Gatlin and the cars driving past the, the sign. So basically it's being foretold that there are some, as they call, um, outlanders that are coming. It's interesting. Isaac says interlopers. Malachi says outlanders. Whatever it is, is the fact that somebody from the outside world is coming into their existence and they have to deal with it. So, of course, you know, Malachi says, you know, they must be punished. And Isaac goes, no, they will not be punished. You know, she has the gift of sight. Leave her be. And, of course, Malachi's like, yeah, so what do we do with them? And he says, just put them back where you found them. And he's like, you know, but they had a board game. They had music. And she, he's like, I don't care. She has the gift of sight. She sees what's going to happen. Just leave them alone. Take them back. So really, it's almost like, you know, through Sarah's ability to see what's going on, she's saving, you know, um, Job's ass, which is quite good. Because Malachi is a very, very um, aggressive kid. Like he is, and I, it's, he's just, he's almost like, a, he, I mean, I guess you could say he's Isaac's bodyguard. But he's very aggressive and it's very easy for him to overthrow Isaac because you can almost see that he wants the power. Every time that, you know, he questions Isaac, you know, Isaac shoots him down. But you can see that he, you know, Malachi backs down to a certain degree, but has still got that, I just want to overthrow you and get my, my own bit of power in this. But of course, yeah doesn't really work so as i said the kids are basically following you know bert and vicky around the place and at one stage they're driving past a house and of course um for some strange reason how quickly it is uh, bert sees the front door shut and then it's like ah so I, I think i saw somebody so they stop the car and they run into the house and of course you know it's, you know vicky's like uh, this is someone's house and he's like yeah well i'm just gonna say that i just need to use the phone which is true i need to use the phone every time they and of course he finds the phone and, of course, it's dead because, hey, there's nobody to service it. There's nobody to fix it. Who cares, you know? Of course, they go upstairs and they find that there is Sarah sitting there drawing and listening to music. And she's just, you know, just doing her own thing. And that's when Bert says, listen, I'm going to go into town and see what I can find out. You know, you stay here with her. And so it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, Bert just leaves and just goes. Now, I don't know. I don't think he takes the car because I think that the town is still close enough to the house that he can walk into the walk into the town, which is fine. Malachi and his followers appear and capture Vicky and take her to the cornfield where they place her on a cross to be sacrificed. Bert enters the church where a congregation of children led by a girl named Rachel are performing a cultural birthday ritual for Amos by drinking his blood from a pentagram shaped cut on his body. Amos has turned 19, so is considered old enough for his passing, joining their God in the cornfield. So basically, you've gotten to the age of 19. Once you hit 19, you must be sacrificed because then you become an adult. And they don't want any, obviously, no situation where anybody's going to become an adult in this. And I find it interesting that, okay, so. You know, when Malachi gets 19, if he's not 19 already, uh, how are you going to sacrifice him? Is he in the same idea? When Isaac becomes 19, does he become sacrificed? Or because he's a spiritual leader, does he is he able to go on? It's sort of like it, it doesn't give you a whole lot of reference as far as we all know that every kid that turns 19 must be sacrificed. So if Isaac turns, say, okay, so let's say, for instance, Isaac turns 19 and Job is only 17. Does then does then he pass the teachings on to Job and he continues until he's 19 until everyone dies? What happens if you're the last kid in the in the entire town? You know, <laughs> is there that situation or is there procreation? Are they having sex with each other to maintain the the kids in this? It's you know, as I said, you, you, you can't really sit there and go pick this movie apart too much because if you do, you'll actually hate the movie eventually. So you really need to have this as it's a great movie. It's an interesting movie, but we don't want to pick it apart too much to a point where you sit there and go, no, nah, screw this. I just, I don't understand this. Don't like it. We just have to just say, yep, yeah, okay, whatever it happens, it happens. We just go through, you know. So, you know, Bert follows all the, the noise that he can hear into the church and he sees this whole ritual taking place and he basically scolds the kids for participating in the blood ritual and says, you know, what, what the hell are you doing? And of course, you know, um, this, the guy that's actually going to be, um, you know, being passed into the situation, Amos says, oh, well, I've reached the age that I am going to join my God. And he's like, really? Are, are you just, are you following everything in the, in the book? Or are you going to rewrite just the passages that suit you? So it's basically like, you know, you're following the word of God. Well, this is not the word of God, but are you just basically rewriting to suit you you know what you want people to think and uh, of course rachel who is is she's basically she is actually helping uh run the whole ceremony is completely enraged and stabs bert with a knife and then of course 
you know, he pulls the knife out and he's like, he's got the knife, you know, holding uh, everyone at bay. And Rachel yells, you know, go and get the others. And then a kid goes to run out the door to go and get the others. And she, he, she says, stop, stop, stop. Don't get the others. Go and get Malachi. So basically you can see that Malachi is the big cheese around here. He's the most terrifying. And he will basically kick your ass. So the kid runs off. Of course, this is when Bert goes, fuck this, I'm out of here. And runs out of the church with, with all the kids in tow following him. Of course, they chase they chase him all over the friggin' town. Luckily, um, he manages to get a, get away. It's interesting that he doesn't really know the town. The kids know the town more, but they they you know he loses the kids. It's like okay, that's fine. Um, Job rescues Bert, and they hide in a fallout shelter with Sarah, where they learn Vicky was captured and agrees to help him help him rescue her. The zealous. Isaac scolds Malachi for his treachery in killing Dell, their only source of fuel and also their only source of getting anyone away from the, the town. You know, as I said to you, the first thing that you actually see when you get into Gatlin, other than a shit ton of corn, is the gas station. And what's the best way? People will always pull over to a gas station to either use the bathroom or to fill up or, for the most part, find out where the hell Gatlin is. And that's the best way to, to actually have someone on standby there to say, yeah, we don't like outsiders, so basically take a left and keep going. You know, so you've got Malachi's deciding, no, nah, I'm going to basically kill this guy. And I don't really, I don't really understand what Malachi's whole theory behind this was, but it's completely backfired. So tired of Malachi, uh, sorry, tired of Isaac's preachings, Malachi takes over, ordering Isaac to be sacrificed instead of Vicky. So you see Vicky being put up onto the cross. And as she's put up, you then come into view a police officer who has been um, crucified in the cornfield. And of course, she, she screams. And she's also got uh, what is supposed to be um, the crown of thorns on her head, but it's basically a crown of, of corn. So it's, you know, it's, it's basically symbolizing that this fact that, you know, they're being sacrificed. But of course, you know, this is when Malachi's had enough of Isaac and says, you know, cut the woman down, put Isaac in his place. And of course, you know, Isaac's... At this moment, Isaac's lost control of the kids. There is no way that anyone's going to be following him. They're all going to be following Malachi now. And Malachi is really now taken over. And he's solidified himself as the number one in the town. So poor old, you know, Isaac, he's screaming as a, as a little kid would to, to not be put up there. And of course, it doesn't really matter because he's going up there regardless. Malachi is, is, you know, is done with the whole thing. So as Isaac warns Malachi that sacrificing him will break their pact with he who walks behind the rose. And the children will be severely punished. And they really he does it in such a way as if to say, you know, if you go against my word and his word, you will be you will suffer a thousand deaths on a lake of fire, you know, and you can't do this to me. And but he really basically throws a whole lot of biblical, you know, teachings in with it. And it's like, you know, and Malachi's like, I don't really care. They've seen what I can do. They're tired of what you have not been able to do. So they are going to follow me. They're not going to follow you. You are the false God. I am the true God sort of situation. And he does say to the kids, you know, this is Isaac saying to the, to the children that, you know, if you defy he who walks behind the roads, they will, he will come and he will strike you down. At that moment, you've got that that struggle of do we go with Isaac or do we go with Malachi? Malachi is a lot more um, terrifying because we they you can really see what he can do to people. So I think they basically side with Malachi because it's like, hey, better the devil you don't know than the the devil you do. And Isaac is really he's this wonderful walking around preacher and very he seems to be very relaxed sort of a relaxed sort of kid. But you got Malachi, who's basically could be the leader of the Hell's Angels. You know, he's got he's got that. Yeah, I can do anything. You know, sort of situation. Whereas Isaac is like, let's just talk about you know this and that, and let's just have quietness. But Malachi is Malachi is the warrior. He is the one that would jump into the to the fight. Uh, Isaac would be the one that would stand out the side of the outside of the fight and try to calm people down by talking. So. You can sort of see it's being played off one against the other. Malachi, unfortunately, you know, he, he wins out, unfortunately. So that night, Bert sneaks into the cornfields to rescue Vicky. During Isaac's sacrifice, a supernatural light appears and devours the screaming Isaac. So it was really interesting because I was trying to work out what the hell is it? Because you've got this thing that sort of like moves underneath the, the, um, the ground. So it's almost like... Well, what is it? I mean, it's, it's shown as an evil entity, but it doesn't really, because it, it's, I don't know whether it takes form. I don't know. It makes the ground move. It, it's almost like there's a giant worm underneath the, the ground. And if it's chasing somebody, it basically makes the, the, uh, 
the ground sort of like undulate, you know, and, and come up and come down sort of situation. But as you see, you know, Isaac is on the on the cross and he's screaming. Then, of course, this red light sort of like devours him. And you've almost, almost got the feeling that he's being incinerated, you know, with, with fire because his, his body just becomes this whole red mass. So it's like, okay, is he... And then, of course, as, as he's being devoured, the um, cross basically explodes and you see it, like, fly off into the distance. So it's like, oh, okay, so this thing devours people, then you explode and you go firing off into the distance. I don't really know. Um, Bert emerges and overpowers Malachi, pushing him to the ground, and then convinces the children to abandon the cult and run for safety. Then, of course, you know, you know, Malachi is like saying to the kids, go, go get him, go get him, bring him back. I'm going to sacrifice him. So a lot of the kids are sitting there going, yeah, I don't think so. I think we're really done with this situation now. You've, you've killed our parents and we've killed our parents. I mean, can you imagine, you know, having the FBI or an entire law enforcement community coming into that place and they're going, okay, where's where's all the adults? Yeah, we killed them. Um, okay, uh, how, how are we going to deal with this? Like, what sort of, how are we going to prosecute all these kids? It's just like, it's ridiculous. You know, it's a ridiculous way of looking at it, but I know that there are child murderers. I know that. I, we've all read about it. We've all read about, you know, um, you know, children that have been, you know, caught up in cults that they've killed for, for their cult leaders. We've also seen that kids have killed their, their sisters or their brothers or their mothers and fathers. You know, so it's, it's not out of the realms of impossibility. It does happen. I'm aware of that. We're all aware of that. So this sort of scenario of an incomplete revolution, um, in a town where they decide to follow this cult leader, it's not unheard of. It, it wouldn't be, you know, if, if this ever happened, it wouldn't be something we'd all be sitting there going, really? I don't believe that would ever happen. I would actually, a lot of us would be sitting there going, yeah, we, we knew this was going to happen. It, it was inevitable. I hope to God it never does. I really, really hope it never, ever does. Um, and there, as I said, there are children that have killed before. Um, I just hope it never does happen because I don't think we need to go down that path. We have, we've had enough... Uh, misery and horror as far as people killing people we don't need this sort of situation so of course you know the kids are basically have, have had enough of this cult but as you're the, as they're standing there Isaac suddenly appears and basically he's revived by he who walks behind the rose informing Malachi that the DNT is angered over him being being him being sacrificed and that he wants Malachi sacrificed as well for his betrayal Isaac seizes and kills the terrified Malachi by breaking his neck. And this is where it really, you know, Isaac's voice is really ominous. I mean, it's a really terrifying sort of like, um, and I can't do it. I'm not going to even try and do it, but it's it's got a really gravelly, um, yeah, real evil sort of like, you know, voice coming out of him saying that, you know, this, you know, you're going to basically get your ass kicked. Bert actually says to um, um, to the kids, to Job and to Sarah, you know, what was happening before all this? And, and, and basically Job says, everyone was in the cornfield. They were going to burn it down. And he's like, so they're going to burn it down with what? And of course, they, they take him over to this, this gas pump. And they said they were going to attach the gas pump to the sprinkler system in the in the cornfield and basically fire, um, like shoot gasoline all over the cornfield, then throw a match or a burning log or something into there and incinerate it. So obviously the parents knew and the adults knew something was going on inside the cornfield and they were going to try and get rid of it. So it really shows you that there, there was a reason behind what they were going to try and do. And I think the, the kids had an idea of this is what was going to happen, and this is why they killed a lot of the parents. So, Bert reads a passage in the Bible Job gives him. Job also reveals that the police officer tried to set up the gas hole, which is the, the gasoline station, to stop he who walks behind the rose, but Malachi murdered him before he could finish. Vicky rereads the passage and realizes that the cornfield must be destroyed by fire in order to stop the false god. So really, as, as you can see, you know, we've got the situation now, where there is an evil entity in the cornfield. Now, whether, whether that has actually, you know, turned Malachi and Isaac, I mean, obviously, it's, it's completely turned Isaac to begin with. So he's basically got that whole idea of like, well, when, this is what we need to do. He who walk, walks behind the roses told me that we need to kill all the adults. And then, of course, now, as we've seen, Isaac's now come back as this false god. And he's, you know, so he needs to be stopped. So what, what are we going to do? Okay, so Bert sprays the cornfield with the gasoline and tosses a Molotov cocktail into the field, setting it alight and destroying the demon along with Isaac. 
um, you really get to see a massive explosion. And it's almost like you see a face inside the fire. So it, it really, it's depicting the fact that this thing has been destroyed, which, you know, as I said, it's, it's almost like, I mean, I'm glad it got to that point because at this stage, you know, the um, the corn is getting sprayed with gasoline and, of course, Bert throws the Molotov cocktail, but it doesn't go far enough. It just hits, you know, the outside. It doesn't actually go into the into the cornfield. So this is when Job, awesome kid, runs over and gets the Molotov cocktail and runs it back to Bert. As he's running back, this thing is following him underneath the ground. And this is where I'm saying that the ground was undulating behind him. It was just basically chasing him. And Job's running like mad, trying to get the Molotov cocktail back to Bert and gives it to him and says, throw it into the corn. Like, throw it big, you fuck. So, of course, this is where, you know, he does hoik it straight into the center of the cornfield or as far as he can throw it. And then, of course, this is where it catches on fire. When it does explode, yeah, as I said, you can see this face that appears to basically depict the fact that this thing has now been destroyed. So, of course, Bert, uh, Bert, Vicky, Job and Sarah return to the car to leave Gatlin but find it's disabled. Well, we already knew it was disabled before because when Bert was coming back to the car, the kids have basically shredded the car with the end, you know, taking the engine apart and then throwing bits of corn all over the place. So it's basically an, in, an indication that you're not getting out of here. We're basically going to we're basically going to kick your ass. So um, you know this is where the the, the next jump scare is going to be um and it's an interesting one and i'm wondering and i've never seen part two of this so i don't know whether it this whether part two follows on from this scene and in all honesty there it really should but of course you know birch gets into the car to basically get a, the map out to find out where how far is you know hemmingsford and i think it's like 19 miles away they've got to walk but of course as he's sitting in the car rachel from sitting and she was laying in the back seat on, and she must have been laying there for ages uh basically jumps up and attacks bert but vicky knocks her out with the car door because you know bert backs backs back and you know rachel has got this machete and she's just about to basically you know, slice at him and this is when uh, Vicky you know basically pushes the the car door and you know into her head and basically <laughs> knocks her out and of course you know this is when you know Bert goes oh for the love of god now she's knocked out what are we going to do now and this is when Vicky says you know oh it's okay we'll send her a get well card from Seattle and they basically just leave and they start departing with the kids because they're like you know what are we going to do with these two kids and it's like you know well maybe they can stay with us for a week or maybe a month so you basically can see that they're going to be adopted um, and they, of course, they depart with the kids, and this is when the credits come up. Now, that's the end of the movie, but there is a, <laughs> there is a significant sort of like um, an aha moment, okay? Now, did anyone keep up with the fact that there is still a body of Joseph in the trunk of this car? So just in the possibility, this faint possibility that a police car drives past and finds this car abandoned. They find the smell, they open the trunk of the car up to find there's a body of a child in the in the trunk of the car. They read the license plate, the license plate number comes back to Bert and they go to find Bert and basically say, um, here's an idea, Bert. Uh, why is there a kid in the trunk of your car? How did, and how are you gonna explain that? You know, <laughs> I mean, really, how how in earth are you going to sit there and go, oh, yeah, well, um, it's like this. I didn't really, hmm, how do I explain this? You can't. You can't sit there and go, okay, well, I drove into, the, into this town and the kids have killed all the parents and the kids are basically, were chasing us around. They tried to kill me. They tried to kill my fiancé. Um, yeah, so we were driving and, of course, this kid came out of the cornfield. We hit him with the car and we decided to put him in the in the trunk of the car. Okay, <laughs> come down to the police station further, sir. We need some questions. So really, it's, 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 yeah, that little part is like, yeah, not really sure. But as I said, if they started number two directly after this, where it was like that, you know, you see that Rachel comes around and she's the last kid, you know, in the town. I mean, there may be other kids because the, the kids were basically scattered. They all just ran in different directions. So it doesn't actually necessarily say that there is no kids in the town at all. Rachel could then start the cult all over again, but she could become the leader because she seemed very determined to um, basically be the head person of, of this cult, you know, when she was doing the... the um, the whole scenario with the this coming out sort of like ceremony where you're being sacrificed we're going to prepare you for the sacrifice to be sacrificed so it really it, yeah it's rather interesting but you know what that was the end of the movie anyway um as i said you just see them walking away and you see the credits i've always thought it was a great this is a great movie i've always thought that it's a great storyline it keeps you on the edge of your toes 
Um, you know, it's the, the music's creepy. I love the, the music. The music's got a really creepy vibe to it, and that lends itself to such a great movie. Um, and the story's great too. So, look, you know, zero to five buckets of blood. Zero, how do I get the last two hours of my life back? To five, it was a perfect movie. I don't think I've given it a five, and I'm not going to give it a five. I'm going to give it a four because I'm sure there are parts of the movie that you could sit there and watch and go, Paul, I don't think so. I wouldn't give this a five. I'd give it a four or a three. You know, everyone's got their whole idea. There are people that really love Children of the Corn and would sit there and go, it's a five across the board, perfect movie. I'm just going to sit there and say, for me, it's a four. I like it. It's not gr- It's not the best movie, but it's certainly a good movie, and a four is as far as I'll go. But I'm, that's, that's, as I said, that's just me. Anyway, before we leave the podcast, remember we always love to do Paul's Fun Facts. So as usual, a lot of these fun facts will be, you know, parts of the movie. And, and we've got 37 trivias on Children of the Corner. And, and a lot of them is really, really interesting. One of them, which I was very, very fascinated actually to read, was when asked by a fan how the effect for the burrowing, He Who Walks Behind the Rose, was created, special effects artist Wayne Buchamp revealed that it was accomplished thanks to a special device called the turtle, a wheelbarrow bucket flipped upside down with added wheels. The device was set in rails in a trench attached to a pulley system connected to a tractor and then covered in a tarp with a layer of dirt and <laughs> with a layer of dirt on the top. This is really amazing. The tractor would pull forward and the turtle would move beneath the tarp creating a mound of earth that travelled from one point to the other. The trench ended up in a sharp hill giving the illusion that the creature beneath was diving deeper into the ground. Buchamp added that the trench itself was dug by local Boy Scouts who were interested in learning how films and special effects were made. Isn't that awesome? That that sort of situation. And as I was, as I was saying, this is where I was like, what the hell is that? Is it is it some sort of entity underneath the corn? That's what we're told. We're told that there is a, a specific entity underneath there. Um, and that is what that is. he who walks behind the rose. And then we go. We find out that they basically just turned a wheelbarrow upside down. That's friggin' awesome. Love it. Although real corn was used for most of the filming, polyurethane corn had to be used for the more difficult action sequences. Okay, that's that's fine. Although supposedly Isaac is a teenager, actor John Franklin was 24 years old at the time of filming. <laughs> that's awesome. The tagline... And the ch- and a child shall lead them comes from Isaiah 11, 11 chapter six in the Old Testament, which reads, "And the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatalling together, and the child shall lead them." Okay, that's awesome. This this movie actually spawned more sweet more sequels than any other Stephen King film. Yeah, that makes sense. That was yeah. In the original theatrical trailer, Stephen King's name is is misspelt as Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N, instead of S-T-E-P-H-E-N. There we go. So a lot of these, as I said, these, these facts are really awesome. And this one, by far, is probably one of the best ones I've seen or read. So Courtney Gaines won the, won the role of Malachi by using a prop knife to hold a casting assistant hostage in the audition. He claims that one of the greatest honours of his career is having hundreds of people, even his son's friends, recognise him as Malachi and confess they found him terrifying. (laughs) Some having admitted his performance gave them nightmares. Apparently, even his own parents were greatly unnerved by him in this film. See, this is what I'm saying. You know, Malachi was more terrifying than Isaac. And yeah, this... That's really awesome to actually do that in a in a in an audition. That really shows you that yeah, I'm destined for this role and this is how I'm going to get it. So just a couple more before I finish up. So the final scene with the protagonist returning to the car and being attacked by Rachel wasn't in the script. It was added shortly before filming wrapped for the last scene and for the last scare. Linda Hamilton complained to the producer that it made no sense for them to go back to the car and it made the characters look stupid. To which the producer replied, we want the audience to think you're stupid. (laughs) Just one more before I finish. So the scene where Isaac returns to take his revenge on Malachi was different in the script. Isaac was supposed to be far worse in appearance. 
with much of his skeleton showing, Malachi would successfully but fruitively stab his former leader in the chest as Isaac dragged him screaming into the cornfield where he who walks behind the rose would consume them both. They were forced to abandon Isaac's ghastly appearance due to budget problems and according to Courtney Gaines, the producer forced the director to simplify the scene by having Isaac simply snap Malachi's neck so they could stay ahead of the shooting schedule. Gaines feels that one of his few regrets about this film is that his character's original climactic death was scrapped for a more simple one. And, you know, and I think that's that's wholeheartedly, I would agree. I would have loved to have seen that, uh, that scene instead of the one they actually filmed. But you know what? It is what it is, and now it's part of cinematic history. It's part of the movie that we all love, being the children of the corn, so who am I to complain? I think it's a great movie, and... You know, you can see it on YouTube if you want to go and, and watch it. There's the entire movie. It's not subtitled. It's not, there's no, you know, strange, not, you know, um, wording over it. It's it's from beginning to end. So, yeah, I do, yeah, do yourself a favor. Jump onto YouTube and watch the entire movie of Children of the Corn. It's wonderful. Anyway, thanks you very much once again for coming to visit me in the horror crypt. I hope you guys are really enjoying this this podcast. I see from the amount of people that I've actually got right now uh, listening that uh, there are a large amount of people that really do. And look, you know, please follow me on Instagram. I'm the only person that follows myself on, on Instagram. Just look for the horror crypt or horror crypt Oz. Um, as in horror crypt OZ, because I always post what movie I'm doing, you know, you know, and it's I've, I'm always releasing movies on Monday. So every Monday you'll actually get a brand new um, movie coming out. So you know you can reach out to me there, and you can also follow me on Facebook at Horror Crypt Oz. And I said you can directly directly message me Horror Crypt twenty twenty two at gmail dot com, whichever way you can want to get a hold of me. I'm there for sure. Um, but, you know, I, I'm seeing the amount of people that are, that are listening and you guys seem to be enjoying what I'm doing. So please, if you want to, reach out to me. I'm not saying you have to. You don't have to at all. You can sit there and listen to this and go, I love just listening to him. Don't need to contact him. That's all good too. But if you do, remember, I will always respond to you. Anyway, come back next week for another awesome movie because I've got another one coming up next week. But until next time, I'll creep you later. Mm-hmm.